Hello and welcome to the Gloucester Vineyard Church weekly podcast. We're creating a community which brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're thrilled you've downloaded this message. This week we're taking a close look at the word sin, which is a word the Bible uses all the time to talk about what is wrong with the world today. And we're looking at it from four angles which don't usually get explored when we talk about sin. We also ask what does it mean to be forgiven in light of those four perspectives and how Jesus invites us to be part of the kingdom he is building. So without further ado, enjoy. So we're going to be asking a question this morning. Uh, I've been doing, this is the second talk in a little series that I'm doing, kind of looking at some of the common words that we come across in the Bible all the time. Words which, if we bring our own definition to the table, we might get ourselves in a little bit of a tangle because we might misunderstand what the Bible's actually saying to us. So last, uh, last month I did a talk on what the Bible means when it talks about believing or having faith in Jesus. Um, that's online, it's also on our podcast, so you can download that if you missed it. And today, we're going to be looking at a different word, and it's a word which is kind of linked to a question, and that question is, what is wrong with the world today? Does anybody else know the Flight of the Concords song? What is wrong with the world today? I was going to play it, but I couldn't figure out all the technical stuff. But anyway, everybody's homework, when you go home from here, go on YouTube, Flight of the Concords, what's wrong with the world today? You will not regret it. Um, but we're going to be asking that question, what is wrong with the world today? I have come to love asking this question. I think it's absolutely wonderful to hear people's answers to that question. What is wrong with the world today? Because I think most people that you can meet will associate with that feeling that there is something fundamentally wrong with the world. Um, and I think that if you, can, if you can kind of identify with that feeling, the next logical question is, well, what is it? If that's a common experience of all of us and we can all kind of, kind of chime with that, then what is it that's wrong with the world? And I've heard lots of fascinating answers to that question. And the Bible also has an answer for that question. It's got an opinion on that as well. And um, so the Bible has an awful lot to say about what's wrong with the world today. Um, in the fact, the Bible talks about it so much that it's come up with a nifty little word, a little shorthand word, which it uses whenever it talks about what's wrong with the world. And that word is sin. Now, if you've ever tried reading the Bible for more than five minutes, then you will have come across this little word. We read it all over the time, and you could be forgiven for wondering, what on earth does that word mean? Because I don't know about you, I personally didn't use that word in a sentence this week. Well, I probably did because I'm a pastor, so I talk Bible stuff all the time. But generally speaking, we don't really use that word, so we don't necessarily really know what it means. Um, and it says, it's actually a word which we don't use around here very much either. It's not a word that Emily and I will use on a Sunday morning when we are doing one of these little talks. And um, that's on purpose. We've actually made that decision on purpose. And it's not because we're scared to talk about it. It's not because we don't know what the word means. Um, it's not because we're afraid to offend people. It's simply because sin is a shorthand word. So it's a word that you use uh, when you're talking about something much, much bigger. And the assumption is that we're all on the same page. So when I use that word, we all know exactly what we mean. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that that's actually not the case. So that's why we don't use it very often here. I had this experience this week. I couldn't believe this happened. I wrote this weeks ago, and then I had this conversation with Rosie, which is literally what I wrote. I was in the van with Rosie, my little daughter, who helped us with Simon Says just now, and we were driving along, taking her back from school, and she said, Daddy, do you know about rock music? And I said, oh, well, yes, I, I do know about rock music. Do, do you know about rock music, Rosie? And she said, yes, I do. I love rock music. I think, oh, great. 
think, where, what, where's this come from? So anyway, we had this wonderful conversation about rock music, and I said, hey, tell you what, when we get home, why don't we listen to some rock music? Oh, I'd love to. So we came home, and we sat down, and I put the, went on my Sonos app, and I thought, I'll play her some Royal Blood, because I love Royal Blood. Anybody, any other fans of Royal Blood in the house? Yes, yes, very good. So I'll tell you what, um, I had no idea the fruity language in some of those songs until you sit your five-year-old down and say, hey, Rosie, get an earful of this. Um, but anyway, sat down, played some Royal Blood. I enjoyed it. And she just sat there stony-faced the whole time. And I said, well, what did you think, Rosie? And she said, that's not rock, Daddy. I think I'll find it is. But anyway, it turns out that um, Rosalind's definition and understanding of rock music is like 1970s, 1980s German rock bands which had one-hit wonders. Turns out she's watched the Trolls movie and like there's been some kind of, I can't remember even what it was, but I was like, oh, that's okay, that's a bit niche. But anyway, she and I had a very different definition of what rock was. And when we sat down, we, we couldn't see eye to eye because we were talking about different things. And I think it's exactly the same thing when we're talking about sin. So I think it's a really good question to ask, what do we mean by sin? Because when we're reading the Bible, we will come across verses like this. Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds, you are healed. So if we want to understand what it means for Jesus to bear our sins and what it means for us to be dead to sin, then we need to know what the Bible means when it uses that word. And I'm, I'm honestly really excited about this morning because I think it's really core to what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and it turns the message that Jesus came and brought from kind of good news to absolutely essential make or break news. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of look at sin from a couple of angles. It's a bit like this. I feel like what we've done as the church is we've looked at this Rubik's Cube and we've gone, it's a square. Because we're only looking at it from one angle. We've oversimplified it and said that's a square. When in fact it's not, it's a cube. And it's actually a, a multicolored cube. And, it's, and you can spin it and change it. And I feel like if we want to understand what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about sin, we need to understand that it's... It's a cube, it's a 3D shape. We need to see it from different angles. We need to understand it in order to understand what Jesus has done for us. So, are we up for that? We're gonna look at four perspectives very briefly this morning to help us to better understand what Jesus is talking about and what the Bible is talking about when he talks about sin. So, let's dive in. Thing number one, the perspective, first perspective I wanna bring out is this, that sin is less of a criminal record and more of a terminal diagnosis. So I'm gonna go ahead and guess that when I say the word sin, most of us in the room instantly think about some kind of legal courtroom scene. Anybody, give me a nod if that's true for you. Literally, oh, one nod, great. So I'm speaking to one person, that's good. So most of us, when we're taught what sin means, we're told it's some kind of scenario where we're in court, there's a judge, and we're found guilty of a whole load of sins. And that sin is all the stuff that we've been found guilty of all the stuff that we've done in the past that's wrong. So each of us kind of has this criminal record of things we've done wrong in the past, uh, which have ruined the world. And in this view, God also has a list of sins, a list of kind of naughty things that we're not supposed to do. And so when we hear that Jesus died for our sins, we understand that Jesus kind of died to take away our criminal record. Um, and even if we've done one of the things on the naughty list, the only way to solve that problem is that someone has to die and that someone has to be Jesus. 
So maybe it's a kind of analogy where Jesus somehow does our prison time or he somehow kind of takes our sentence for us. And don't get me wrong, that is a super useful metaphor and analogy for what Jesus has done for us. And you will find that in the Bible. But I don't think it tells the full story of what is wrong with the world today. And I don't think it makes sense of some of the other ways that the Bible talks about sin. So take, for example, our mate Paul, who, let's face it, crops up every week. He's the chap who went around just after Jesus was alive, planted loads of churches and wrote loads of letters to them. We've got them in the Bible. When Paul um, was talking about sin, he, say, he talked about how we could be enslaved to sin. He often talked about the power of sin, or even in one sense, he called it the body of sin. I mean, personally, it doesn't sound to me much like he's talking about a list of things that God doesn't want us to do, or a list of bad things that we've done before. It sounds much more sinister and serious. He talks about sin more like it's a person, or like a malevolent force in the world. He talks about sin more like you'd expect somebody to talk about cancer, So rather than standing in a dock and being pronounced guilty, maybe it's a little bit more like sitting in a doctor's and being told we've got terminal cancer. The authors of the Bible have this view of, they have this view of sin that's more like a force which is tearing our world apart in the same way that a cancer attacks a body. And sure, the symptoms of this cancer um, we can all have, they come out in selfish acts, the things we do which we regret. But as any good physician will tell you, when you're treating symptoms, you really want to get to the root cause of the problem. Sometimes you can only treat the symptoms, but really what you want to do is let the symptoms lead you to the root cause and treat that instead. And the Bible's view um, of the world is the bad things we do are like symptoms. They are not the full picture of the problem. Yes, we can do some stupid, sometimes seriously hurtful things at times. We need to say sorry for that. We need to avoid living like that in the future. But the message of the Bible is that fundamentally there is a deeper problem than a behavior problem. And I think that the church in the past has been a little bit guilty uh, of trying to correct people's behavior without loving them as a whole broken person and recognizing the damage that sin has done in their lives. Now, I'm a gardener, and I've spent countless hours of my life weeding. Um, And when I approach a flower bed that needs weeding, if I just go along and I just pluck the little green bits off the top, we all know what's going to happen. Those weeds are going to be back next week. If I want to get rid of the weeds in a flower bed, I need to get in there with a fork, and I need to dig them out. There is a much deeper issue here that needs addressing. Simply addressing the behavior won't make a dent in what's really wrong with the world today. And that's why Jesus' view of sin is much less like a criminal record or a set of bad behaviors and much more like a terminal diagnosis. Which leads me onto my second thing. This one refuses to stand up, so let's see how it does. That we have a being problem, not a doing problem. So obviously the Bible has got a lot to say about sinful behavior, stuff we do which hurts ourselves and other people. But the message of the Bible is that we do that stuff because we ourselves have been compromised. As I've said, the Bible's conviction is that each of us primarily has a problem with our very nature, which leads us to do hurtful things. I heard it once described like this. So all of us use toothbrushes, um, they are perfectly designed for the job of cleaning our teeth. But what if one day your, jo- your toothbrush falls down the toilet? I mean, there's just no chance you're going to pick that thing out, wash it, scrub it, boil it. I mean, you could nuke that thing. I'm never using that again. You- you're never going to put that thing back in your mouth. 
That toothbrush has got a being problem. No amount of scrubbing or boiling is going to change that. Nothing's going to convince you to put it back in your mouth. The toothbrush's very nature has been compromised, and it can no longer fulfill the purpose that it was designed for. We were made to rule the world alongside God, bringing about the latent potential in creation, to create and build uh, and flourish and grow and enjoy this world that God has made. But we can't do that in all of its fullness because we have been born into a sinful world. We are like toothbrushes born in the toilet. And the only option for that toothbrush, because like I say, it's never going to get used again, the only option for that toothbrush is to throw it away. That toothbrush needs to die. We need a new toothbrush. I'd like to think that everybody in the room would agree with that. Um, And wouldn't you know that that's exactly Jesus' solution to our being problem? When the writers of the Bible talk about what Jesus achieved on the cross, they talk about how Jesus died and and we can choose to die alongside him and that we can be raised to new life just like Jesus was. It sounds a little bit nuts, doesn't it? Dying along with somebody else. Um, But in this context, I think it makes perfect sense because if we need to die to sort out our being problem, then how wonderful is it that someone who, the only person who could, has already done it on our behalf and has been raised back to life and invited us to follow him. We read it in our verse this morning. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. Our mate Paul, the super church church planter, he's back. And when he was writing to one of his many churches, he said it like this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. He had this concept that, of his life that he had died, that what Jesus had done applied to him and had dealt with his sin problem. Another guy who knew Jesus really well and wrote about his life um, described it as like being born again, as, like, as if our old life died when Jesus did, and we get to be born again into a new life to start again. You see, if the problem with sin is just behavior, then the solution is more willpower. We need to just try harder to behave better. And let me tell you, that's a really noble ambition, but it doesn't work. I think we can all relate to that. It doesn't work. Willpower alone will not do it. But in this concept where sin is like a terminal illness, it's like a problem in our very DNA, the only thing that can help us is divine intervention. If sin is a doing problem, a problem with what we do, then we need more willpower. But if sin is a being problem, the problem with who, something right in the core of who we are, then what we need is a savior. We need somebody to save us. And I, for one, am grateful to have found someone in Jesus who has done that. So, my my third thing, which has completely disappeared. Third perspective on sin is that we are both perpetrators and victims. Another thing that I think gets lost when we condense the problem of sin to a list of rules of behaviors and regrets is that the focus is disproportionately applied to the perpetrator of sin, the, somebody who, the person who does something wrong. And when we understand sin as our own personal criminal record and Jesus' work on the cross simply is just removing our guilt, then we miss out on one crucially important element of what it means to live in a sinful world. And that is all the people who are the victims of our selfish behavior. What about the trail of destruction that we leave behind us? What about those who have been hurt by sin? Does God care about those people? 
Or was Jesus' work on the cross simply to deal with the wrongdoer and neglect the victims of the wrongdoing? If that's the case, then I would humbly suggest that God's justice is lacking. Luckily, the Bible has a much more 3D concept of God's justice. And when Jesus came to deal with sin, he had his eyes on both those who act sinfully and those who have been wronged by sin. Why do you think Jesus spent so much time with the poor? Why do you think Jesus went out of his way to heal those who were excluded from society because of their illness? Why do you think Jesus hung out with the outcasts and those who had been dealt an unfair hand in life? The last little part of that verse that we've read a couple of times today, it's a beautiful promise. It talks about healing, and it says, by his wounds, you are healed. Simple question, who needs to be healed? People who have been hurt needs to be, need to be healed. Victims need to be healed. Of course, Jesus died for both. We don't need to limit his work on the cross, but we equally mustn't focus too much on the perpetrator's act and neglect the damage that those people have done. On the cross, Jesus achieved so much more than just removing our guilt. He took upon himself the shame, the pain, the sickness, the brokenness, the disappointment, the guilt, the disability, the selfishness, and the generations of family abuse. His death was for all of that, to bear it all and take it all out of the system. His death was a moment of justice for all the horrific crimes and for all of the victims who will never see justice in this life and so that they can find satisfaction. Jesus died to forgive the perpetrator of sin and to restore the victims of sin. Because, of course, when you look at it and if you think about it, all of us here today are messy mixtures of both good and bad. All of us have done stuff we regret. All of us have had stuff done to us which has hurt us and left us feeling broken. The selfish and hurtful things we do, um, often we can find the roots of those in our own past and the ways that we've been treated. And so Jesus' death pays for it all, the whole messy lot, so that everyone, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them, or the unfair hand that they've been dealt by being born in this messed up world can come and find a home in the kingdom of God. How are we doing, guys? We've only got one more. We're going to power through this one. So the final perspective I want to bring out this morning is that sin is corporate as well as individual. The final way I think that we misunderstand what the Bible means when it talks about sin is that we make it all about me. We make it all about ourselves. We live in a hyper-individualistic culture. And so it's no different when it comes to our thinking about sin. You may have heard some clever Christian say something like, Jesus would have gone to the cross for the smallest thing that one person ever committed, which is just a seriously unhelpful thing to say. We've already talked about how sin is a being problem, not a doing problem, and how it's about the victims as well as the perpetrators. And the last thing I want to say is that sin is a corporate problem, not just an individual problem. It's something we all do together. And it's not just our own personal battle with sin. Now, we get this idea. We understand this. Even as hyper-individualists, we get this. We get this when we talk about climate change. Because all of us are guilty of climate change, right? You know, um, we all do stuff which harms the planet. We've been doing it for our whole lives. Um, the planet is in a huge mess because of the cumulative actions of billions of people being guilty of climate change. 
Now, does that mean that every individual is responsible for the state of the world? Well, well yes, and I guess also no. Do you see what I mean? There's a, there's a weird tension there. We're all guilty of climate change, but it was the world in which we were born. You know, for most of our lives, we didn't know any better. And now that we do know better, we're trying to modify our behavior to reflect our new thinking. Climate change is a corporate problem which we've all contributed to as individuals. And it is exactly the same when we're talking about sin. Sin is a corporate problem that we've all contributed towards as individuals. And just like our world needs a radical solution to sort out climate change, we need a radical solution to sort out our sin problem. But I think the rabbit hole goes deeper. Because just like climate change is propagated by individuals being born into a broken system and contributing to, to it, we also see systems of sin in the world. Systems of individuals behaving sinfully, which have created cultures and movements, which have gained a life of their own. What is racism, if not a movement of sinful individuals gaining momentum and shaping the world in sinful ways? What is sexism, if not sinful individuals creating institutions and structures which oppress 50% of the population um, above the other 50? What is capitalism, if not a sinful um, uh, uh, individuals creating um, what am I saying? If not a system designed to make the rich richer off the backs of the poor. You know, for many of us, we've been engaging with the issue of racism for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, because of everything that's been happening over the last couple of months. And when you dig down into the issue of racism, it's super easy to feel completely overwhelmed and hopeless because you start to recognize that the issue of racism is not just about individuals doing hateful things to other individuals. It's a self-perpetuating beast in our culture. It's like cancer. It's part of the furniture. It's systemic. You know, we can devise the most creative initiatives and responses in the world, and we would still be nagging at the edges of an enormous problem. We need a drastic intervention. This world needs to get rid of racism. What we need is someone to take the system of racism upon themselves and let it kill them, just to take it out of the system, to deal with it once and for all. I'm personally of the opinion that without Jesus, there is no hope of a world without racism because the problem is so enormous that the solution needs to be equally huge. Okay, I've now finished. So everybody stand up, give it a stretch, look at the person next to you. If you're allowed to, give, you know, shake their hand or give them a little hug or something. Take the deepest breath that you dare. Okay, we did it. Whew. Now I'm aware of how heavy that was. You can all sit down again. It's wonderful. Um, where does that leave us? You know, this is a snapshot of what is wrong with the world today, according to the Bible. I've done a whistle-stop tour this morning because, honestly, it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. But let's, let's be honest, the overall picture is a bleak one. But again, I say this, if our concept of sin is that it's just our criminal record, that God has this list of bad behavior, and that Jesus died because all of us have done some of those bad things, then that's good news, I suppose. 
But if we understand when the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about a terminal illness which has infected all of humanity. That it's talking about a corruption in our very DNA which pushes us down destructive paths. That it's talking about and describing those who have been wounded by the selfish actions of others, not just those who have committed the actions. That when it talks about sin, it's talking about the evil systems in this world that have been set up to dehumanize and degrade human beings. Well, if that is true, that Jesus' death was for all of that, then what other response can we have but to come to Jesus in gratitude? If sin is a problem with my behavior, then I could theoretically sort myself out. But if sin is as bad as I've painted it this afternoon, then honestly, there's no hope for any of us unless Jesus' death and resurrection has dealt with it once and for all. So what's wrong with the world today? The Bible would answer that sin is what's wrong with the world today. And, you know, you, you pick up your Bibles and you read it, reading it from front to back, it's challenging. But you get three quarters of the way through this book and you are just desperate for somebody to come and deal with the world's sin problem and you're three quarters of the way through and finally Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts talking about the kingdom of God he starts talking about this kingdom that he's setting up a kingdom a way of doing things where sin doesn't have a say anymore a place where sickness has no place a place where racism is forgotten a place where rich and poor stand equals and Jesus stands and invites us into his kingdom and he asks do you want to come into my kingdom where there is no more sickness no more crying no more pain no more selfishness and we answer yes of course we do who wouldn't want to live in that kind of kingdom and then jesus says well you can't come in dressed like that he's like the big bouncer on the kingdom of god you can't come in with that attitude towards your neighbor you can't come in while you're still holding on to those lies that your parents spoke over you you can't come in with that sickness, with that disability, and with that pain. And Jesus' offer, his offer then and his offer now is, do you want me to take that for you? Do you want me to heal you? Do you want me to forgive you? And again, forgiveness is another bible word that we use all the time, and we kind of forget about its meaning. We turn it into this overly religious concept usually linked to our idea of sin as a criminal record. But when Jesus is talking about forgiving people, the word he uses is far more about removing, about covering over, about forcing something to leave. It's less about forgetting our pasts and more about removing that which is holding us back in the present. I believe that Jesus is building this kingdom. It's not fully here yet, but one day it will be. And that's why we still see the effects of sin in our lives and in the world. But one day it will all be dealt with once and for all. And we're going to talk about that next month. But for now, Jesus has a compelling invitation for us. Do you want to come into my kingdom? And his follow-on question, do you want me to take that for you? Because all of us have come here today with the effects of being born as a toothbrush in the toilet. All of us have done stuff that we regret. and We are living with the pain of being hurt by others. All of us have been beaten up and broken by living in this world, which is in our very day at DNA. And Jesus' death was for all of that. And Jesus' resurrection was for that too. So guys, in the time we've got left, we're gonna, be, we're gonna respond to what we've heard today. So guys, let's all stand together. Our verse for this afternoon <coughs> is that Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross.
so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Now, I don't know what we've all come with this morning. Each of us have come here with something different. Maybe we've had a week where we've done something which we seriously regret. Maybe we can point to something in our week which has hurt somebody else. Maybe we've come today and we're hurt by somebody else. Somebody's done something to us. Maybe it's repercussions of something that happened years and years ago, but you've come with it this afternoon. And Jesus' invitation is the same for us today as it always is. He wants to invite us into his kingdom where he's dealt with sin. He's dealt with all the stuff we've done and all the stuff that people have done to us. And his invitation is simply, do you want me to heal you? Do you want me to forgive you? Do you want to come into my kingdom? So I just invite you now in the time that we've got left to close your eyes if you feel comfortable and hold out your hands in just a way of responding to Jesus and and maybe take a moment to just call to mind those things that you've come here with this morning, those, those regrets, those hurts. And just take a moment to do some business. Take a moment to pass that over to Jesus, to accept taken that for you and Holy Spirit we invite you to come as we respond we invite you into this place we invite you into our hearts we invite you into the broken hurting places in our lives Holy Spirit would you come and would you heal us where we've come with addictions would you take them Lord where we've come with pain Would you heal us, Lord? Where we've come with regrets, would you comfort us, Lord? Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you and you found that helpful. If you enjoyed this message, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online and in person. All the details you'll need are on our website, gloucestervineyard.org. Mm-hmm.